Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Having a party? Whatever you're celebrating, Whole Foods Market has everything you need for a spectacular event. Premium meats, prepared foods, desserts, and more. Start every celebration at Whole Foods Market. A warning. This episode contains discussion of suicide. If you've ever worked in a restaurant, you likely understand how intense it can be. Clashing egos, long hours, unhealthy stress. But even though you're in the weeds, strong relationships can grow out of shared trauma. The Hulu series The Bear understands this environment well. The dramedy stars Jeremy Allen White as Carmi, a fine dining chef who takes over his family's beloved but troubled Italian beef sandwich shop following the death of his brother. Carmi has to balance saving the restaurant with managing an eclectic staff of longtime employees and one eager, ambitious newbie. The second season premieres later this week, so we thought it would be a good time to revisit our conversation about that first season featuring host Aisha Harris. I'm Glenn Weldon, and in this encore episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about The Bear. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Planning a party or honoring a recent grad? Whatever the celebration, Whole Foods Market can make things easy, starting with some delicious marinated steaks, always antibiotic and hormone-free. Simple and easy eats are ready in the prepared foods department. And for dessert, how about a luscious berry chantilly cake? Not in the mood to cook? Their catering menu offers festive options ready to order online at shop.wfm.com. Start every celebration at Whole Foods Market. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wild Card wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Joining me in Glenn today is writer Kat Chow. Her memoir, Seeing Ghosts, is available now. Welcome back, Kat. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the show. So in The Bear, Jeremy Allen White plays Carmi, a James Beard award-winning chef who stepped in to save his family's business following the suicide of his brother. The original beef of Chicagoland is this small hole-in-the-wall restaurant in the River North neighborhood with a loyal customer base, but it hasn't exactly been run all that smoothly behind the scenes. For one thing, Carmi's inherited his late brother's huge debt to their uncle Cicero, who's played by Oliver Platt. The kitchen is filled with a variety of personalities and passionate foodies, including Tina, an older prickly cook played by Liza Colon Zayas, and Marcus, a meticulous pastry chef played by Lionel Boyce. Carmi frequently finds himself clashing with Richie, his brother's best friend and an obnoxious hothead played by Eben Moss Backrack, who also works at the restaurant. And he finds a kindred spirit in Sydney, played by Ayo Adebri. She's this motivated and astute young sous chef who's long admired Carmi and hopes to help him save the original beef. Christopher Storr is the show's creator, and all eight episodes are streaming on Hulu. 
Glenn, let's start with you. You wrote a review about the bear, but talk more about it. I know you're <laughs> you're you're really in on this show. I am so in on this show. I have been accosting people on the street to get them to watch this show. It's uh, <laughs> it's my thing. It's not up for debate as far as I'm concerned whether or not this is a great show. I think it is. What is up for a, a legit debate is whether or not it makes for a good binge. Mm. This is not a chill hang of a show. This is not, as the kids say, a vibe. Uh, You don't fold your laundry to this show. (laughs) This is demanding, and it's demanding in the best way. It's intense. It's sometimes uncomfortable. But more than anything else, I think it's just incredibly uh, real. Mm. The dialogue, this is going to be pretentious, but I'm me. It's Altman-esque. It's kind of Cassavetes-esque. This is not people trading the kind of perfectly structured quips you get on a lot of television or or telling you exactly how they're feeling all the damn time. This is not dialogue that only exists to convey information to the viewer. This is the language of real life. People talk past each other. They talk over each other. They overcompensate. They are constantly directing their anxiety and insecurity and anger at the wrong people at the wrong time. (laughs) Let's talk about the seventh episode really quickly. This is basically a 20-minute, what they call a one-er, a single shot that tracks through the kitchen as the tensions mount. Uh, I think it's going to be studied in film school, that episode. But my favorite character of the show is Sydney, played by Ayo Adebri, as you mentioned. She is so natural. So good. Mm-hmm. And the show understands how to use that naturalness to great effect. There is a moment when she finally lays into Richie, who has been obnoxious to her for the entire show. You waste space here. You are a loser. And that is why you hate that I'm here, right? Because I see you with the loser that you And on any other show, on a lesser show, that moment would be cathartic because she's right. You know, he is a loser and a jerk. But in the way it's presented, we can see that Sydney is just taking out all this rage and frustration by locking onto a nearby target. Right. Her mocking of him isn't witheringly funny. It's not even effective. It's not a moment of triumph. It's a moment of weakness for her. She's given in to something that she shouldn't. Good Lord, the show is so smart. So good. (laughs) I love that you mentioned that moment because the thing about this show is also that, yes, there is that kind of big blow up that she has with Richie, but then at the same time, like she's always giving it back to him. Like she is the one person in the kitchen in part because she is the newbie and also I think quite obviously the youngest person in the room. And he is the kind of character who is using words that are not okay to be using. He's very brash. He's very older white guy who doesn't like that the world is changing around him Uh kind of guy. And she just, the reason I think it's not cathartic is because even after that and before that, she's just like, look, I'm not going to take up with this. Like, this is not okay. And I'm going to give it back to you as much as you give it to me. So yes, Sissini and yes to all of those moments. Um, Kat, let me know how you feel about <laughs> a show that I feel like should be called Dub Bear, but is not. Uh, <laughs> tell us about it. <laughs> I loved this show so much. I mean, I was really excited to watch it because, you know, I've worked in restaurants in my life. My dad owned one. I recently started working at a bar. I love the environment of the service industry. I love how fast it is. I love all the people watching. And this show really did not disappoint. I mean, it is so fast-paced. I love just the feeling of tension. I was stressed the entire time. Mm -hmm. The performances are amazing. I mean, we've already talked about Sydney, played by Ayo Adebri, and just the performances, the body language, 
there's just so much that builds into it. And Glenn, you know, you were talking about all the dialogue. There's a lot of yelling in this show. (laughs) As someone who grew up in a household where there was a lot of yelling, this felt very true, where there are people talking past one another. And you can just tell it's a form of release, which is not exactly healthy. And one of the main things that I loved about this show was the tension between having such a close family unit that also is quite dysfunctional and that closeness is also what makes, you know, the operating really run, but it's also what completely tears this organization apart. And I loved especially the character Marcus, how he represents, you know, someone who is at an earlier stage of probably his career, where you can see that he's really passionate about being a pastry chef, but needs the guidance and the nurturing. And that position is just so vulnerable, Mm -hmm. where you want Marcus to win, but you're also really sort of afraid for him. Yeah, absolutely. Marcus is also another character who I find so fascinating because he very much stands in contrast to both Sydney and Carmi in that he is very much self-taught. Yes. And he did not go to these fancy culinary schools and he did not work in these fancy restaurants and Michelin star restaurants. And so watching him try and perfect this donut, which is like a big part of the, <laughs> the storyline, trying to perfect this donut when he should be doing his other work. Part of what makes this show work so well is that so often in cooking shows, whether they're like documentary style or there are a movie like Chef with John Favreau, like those types of things. I always like, oh, the chef and the cook, they're the artists and this is art they're making and blah, 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 blah. And here they have those characters, but that also gets in their way. And it's yeah. like, Yes, but you also need to be prepping the food that actually needs to go out right now as opposed to trying to perfect this donut. You have to do your actual work. Yes. Yes. Yeah, craft, not art. Yes, yes. And so I think that's a testament to this show and hearing from different people who have actually worked in restaurants um, and how accurate it is, I think, has been really, really interesting to read about. I, too, have worked in restaurants before. I was a hostess or host. You'd be a great hostess. (laughs) You you know what? (laughs) When I was 21, 22, I was a great hostess because I looked very cherubic and people trusted me and they're like, oh, you're cute. (laughs) And then I was also a server. And so I didn't spend a ton of time in the kitchen where everything is going on, but you do if you're a server, especially. You are going in and out of the kitchen. You are hearing all of this dialogue and it really did feel like real life. I I was just like having all of these memories flooding back to me of like, thank you, chef, and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Like it felt very, very real. And I think that this show does such a good job of really showing how it doesn't take that long to start feeling like the cliches that feel like family, but at least to feel like a very close-knit group of people, mm-hmm. even if you're clashing with each other. Yeah. There's so many moments where, yes, there's a lot of yelling, but then there's also moments of really nice things happening, even if it's just for a second. Like when Sydney. It like drops an entire container of, I think it's like a sauce or something on the ground. Real stock, yeah. Yeah, stock. And she, like a moment before, had said to Marcus, like, I don't need your help because he's way taller and he can get it down for her. And he offered to. And she's like, I don't need your help because she's very stubborn. <laughs> and then, of course, it falls all over the place. And he comes to her aid and he's like, just keep doing what you're doing. You're good. Yeah. And I love those moments. I think they're really, really nice to look at. And also, there's just so much unspoken understanding mm-hmm. where, you know, in that moment, Marcus really could have rubbed it in her face or said something or not helped her. But I just found those moments really 
you know, lovely without being super sentimental, Mm -hmm. which I think is really, really hard to balance. And I think, Glenn, you mentioned that in your review, and I I found that really spot on. Yeah, well, I mean, also, Jeremy Allen White, his performance is so interior. He is this kind of sullen, beaten down guy who's still respectful of others. This is not one of those shows where the cook is a genius and he's horrible to people and you just have to respect him because he's so good. He is respectful of everyone, even those uh, who don't deserve respect, like Mm -hmm. Richie. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) because his performance is so interior and because it's so good, we do get occasional moments later on in the series with like the cooking show vision or the Al-Anon monologue where all the stuff that's been subtext throughout the entire show becomes text. And the more people I cut out, the quieter my life got. And the routine of the kitchen was so consistent and exacting and busy and hard and alive and I lost track of time and he died. And, I mean, part of me needed it because I spent the first few episodes thinking, why does he stay here? This is miserable. He's miserable. This is not salvageable. But then when we get the explanation, I admired the craft of those moments. Mm. And White's performance hits exactly the right note. He's finding all kinds of layers and nuance. That's his Emmy clip. Mm -hmm. But I also felt I didn't need it because by that point in the series, I was like, I get who you are, dude. But I got to be honest, if it had come earlier... I would have felt like it was cheating, like we're getting too direct access to his interior life too soon. So, I, you know, I just came away thinking that those moments are so good, but it's like that writing maxim, uh, kill your darlings, where yeah. I'm sure the writers are proud of those monologues and White absolutely nailed them. But if they're not revelatory, if they don't surprise you and answer a question you've been asking, they got to go. Yeah, I felt similarly about especially the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I do think it works in part because the show has earned, I think, all of that goodwill towards the end. It has built these characters. And even if it feels a little bit layered on, I still feel like it's... It is his Emmy clip. Totally is. <laughs> I'm curious as to like how you felt about the way the show lays out the restaurant itself. I found myself sometimes wondering, what exactly are they cooking here besides Italian yeah. beef? Because it seems like there were a lot of different meals going on that they were prepping for. And I couldn't always quite tell like, okay, is this the function of the storytelling right now? Because he is, Carmi is coming into this and he's trying to change things right away. I will also say, I look, I'm not from Chicago, but I did go to school near Chicago at Northwestern. And so uh, I know that River North neighborhood is not actually like <laughs> very working class yeah. in the way that this show depicts its clientele and also depicts the world of the restaurant. Did you have a sense of what the restaurant was before versus what Carmi was trying to do with it based off of what we see going on in the kitchen? That's a really good question because I'm not familiar with Chicago. So I assumed that this would be, you know, modeled after, well, I mean, it is modeled after an actual Chicago establishment, Mr. Beef, which I don't know anything about. But from the show, the restaurant just has this neighborhood feel where you have a lot of sort of working class types come in, lined up. They sort of know what they're expecting. There's an arcade. (laughs) And so I was I was a little bit confused also with where the restaurant was in its transformation because Carmi has this wonderful, you know, very prestigious background. And for the menu itself, it seemed like he was still dealing with the beef sandwich, a bunch of other things, but I kind of pegged it as being at the start of its transformation. Yeah, I couldn't figure out many things. It's a sandwich shop. But then they also sometimes are open for dinner. Yeah. I'm like, uh. (laughs) You know, and as you say, the River North section of Chicago is not a gritty section of Chicago. It's expense account 
steak houses and hard rock cafe and blue bottle coffee. But that's kind of the point, right? They give a whole episode devoted to Richie complaining that the neighborhood is changing. I think you can actually say that the neighborhood changed a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah. that's part of the conversation the show is having. Yes. I, I think to me that's one of the things where I, I wish it had been a little bit more specific about what exactly <laughs> the restaurant was. Um, because there's also like an episode where Richie is trying to negotiate with some mobsters or gangsters mm-hmm. who are just hanging outside and, and maybe <laughs> causing some <laughs> issues. You know, you guys aren't supposed to be hanging out here. I asked you to hang out down there. Yeah, don't call the cops. John, don't hurt my feelings. How long are you knowing me? They're lined up at the hard rock. <laughs> yeah, I was very, I was like, this is interesting. I don't know. I It felt a little weird to me, but I, I think that's just a, a minor flaw in, in my opinion. We've talked a lot about the dialogue and I think one clip that I brought, it both showcases sort of the kind of dialogue that we're talking about, this naturalistic feel, but also, again, Sydney, who is just one of the greatest character creations in recent memory mm-hmm. and how she is this very highly competent, very smart, very ambitious sous chef who also gets in her own way, is super impatient about things, which is kind of her flaw. And when she is kind of thrust into becoming the sort of right-hand person to Carmi unexpectedly, the way she handles it actually kind of reminds me a lot of myself and the way I handle (laughs) tension. Um, Just, I want to play a little clip of her talking in a way that can be kind of prickly and maybe not the best way to talk to uh, your staff, but is also a very realistic way that you hear in the kitchen all the time. Okay. I'm going to need bags and napkins already ready before service. Plus, Manny and Angel are helping you out with paper cups and plates, but that's not really their duty. You feel me? Plus, love the wiping. Love that energy. Maybe we do it, like, on the floors because they are so dirty. I almost broke my neck. And honestly, I think I'm going to pass out just looking at them. Um, What's up? Yes, Jeff. Great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, there's, like, that little bit of sass, that little bit of, look, I'm laser-focused, and this is how I am. I love just the way she can sort of go from that to also being in certain scenes, stumbling over her words and very awkward mm-hmm. and very like, uh, yeah, I'm a sous chef now. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> I've added to you, but what do I do with it? Yeah, 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 there's just so many great moments like that. Yeah, I mean, she is the audience surrogate. She's coming into this situation like we are, um, but she's also impatient. She's not a perfect character who's going to clean this place up. She has a flaw, and it's her impatience, which plays into the whole series. Yeah, she's also nursing some wounds where... We learn, um, and this doesn't give much away, that she had a business, was it catering or a pop-up or something, Mm -hmm. that failed. Mm -hmm. And so she really feels she has this chip on her shoulder and she has a lot to prove. Yeah, for sure. Now, Glenn, you hinted at this a little bit when we were talking about the Alcoholics Anonymous monologue. But, you know, without spoiling anything, what do we think of the ending and how this ends? But... It's a, it's a choice. The ending's a choice. It's a big choice. <laughs> and I, I get where it's coming from because the show puts Carmi and the restaurant staff through a lot. It puts the viewer through a lot, very frankly. So I'm sure the show owners felt like they can't end the show on a bummer. But the very ending of the show has this sudden moment of uplift that they would argue is seated really early on and seated kind of throughout the season. And I get that does feel too neat. It feels, for such an authentically messy show, a show that's about resting order out of chaos with sweat and blood and hard work, that kind of order kind of arrives from outside. Wasn't nuts about Mm. it. Yeah, it was quite neat. And I felt a little frustrated because I watched it and thought, okay, this is definitely a setup for a second season in a way that 
felt a little bit too cloying. Just I wanted something that wasn't so optimistic, I guess. Yeah. You could really see all of the crumbs leading up to it. And it's easy to imagine what a second season could be, which is good because I loved the show. But I think I wanted something that could leave me guessing a little bit more. Yeah. I I think that the show, for the most part, does a really good job of evading that treacliness and that over-saccharine tone, even in the way that there are lots of moments where there might be a profound, really touching moment between two characters, and then it's undercut by just like some typical restaurant jabbing or Mm -hmm. like joking around. Up until this last episode and up until those last few moments, people have said this, but it's very uncut gems. (laughs) Lots of things are really, really chaotic and also really, really depressing. And then it's like as, as if in Uncut Gems, like Adam Sandler's character came out fine and then he was reunited <laughs> with his family and everything was good. Like, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I think there's a touching moment where we kind of understand even better the bonds that he had with his brother. But then it's at the same time, it's like, oh, this is too perfect. It's a little too happy. And mm. I wanted just a little bit more acid. <laughs> a little, <laughs> a little bit, bit more, a more acid. acidity. You know, maybe some more salt. <laughs> you know, undersalted. Salted, yes. Yeah. Some lemon zest. Something to like <laughs> cut through that sugar. <laughs> I did want to shout out this essay by a restaurant worker called Abe Beam uh, that takes the form of a glossary of kitchen terms that goes through everything the show gets right and some of the stuff it gets wrong. Wait until you finish the season to read it, but it's at passionweiss.com, and it's called A Glossary Explaining Why the Bear is the Greatest Fictional Work About the Kitchen, and it's fantastic. Ooh, can't wait to read that. Yes, I actually read it after Glenn recommended it, and it is indeed fantastic. It's a nice long read, so if you're like on a lunch break or something, Mm -hmm. it's perfect to sit down with. And luckily, every time I watched this, I was eating dinner, so I wasn't that hungry, but... (laughs) It is a show if you love to watch meat being cooked in perfect ways and and onions being chopped and donuts being perfect, like all the glazes. Yes. As a, you know, food show, I was very much like, yes, this is hitting all the spots as someone who loves watching that type of thing. (laughs) Well, obviously, we all loved the bear and we want to know what you think about the bear. You can find us at facebook.com slash pchh. And that brings us to the end of our show. Kat Chow, Glenn Weldon, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This episode was produced by Candace Lim, Taylor Washington, and Mike Katzif, and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides the music you are bobbing your head to right now. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Stream stories from around the world, from sinister suspense to charming comedies and clever crime dramas like My Life is Murder, starring Lucy Lawless. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Stream stories from around the world, from sinister suspense to charming comedies and clever crime dramas like My Life is Murder, starring Lucy Lawless. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. On this week's episode of Wild Card, comedian Bowen Yang says you don't have to feel bad for falling short on mindfulness. I get in my own way by, like, over-privileging the present. That's so interesting because everyone wants to be in the present. I feel like being present is overrated. I'm Rachel Martin. Join us for NPR's Wild Card podcast, the game where cards control the conversation.